Welcome to Conversations with Big Rich. This is an interview style podcast. These interviewed are all involved in the off-road industry. Being involved like all of my guests are is a lifestyle, not just a job. I talk to past, present, and future legends, as well as business owners, employees, media, and land use warriors, men and women who have found their way into this exciting and addictive lifestyle we call off-road. We discuss their personal history, struggles, successes, and reboots. We dive into what drives them to stay active in off-road. We all hope to shed some light on how to find a path into this world that we live and love and call off-road. This episode of Conversations with Big Rich is brought to you by the Off-Road Motorsports Hall of Fame. The mission of the Hall of Fame is to educate and inspire present and future generations of the off-road community by celebrating the achievements of those who came before. We invite you to help fulfill the mission of the Off-Road Motorsports Hall of Fame. Join, partner, or donate today. Legends live at ormhoff.org. My guest this week is the epitome of the word pioneer. From racing sports cars with the SCCA and being the first woman to compete in motorcycle, road racing, and motocross, then started desert racing and being the only woman to solo and finish the Baja 500. And then to finish the Baja 1000 as well. We're going to get into all that and more with my guest, Mary McGee. Mary, thank you so much for uh, for being willing to share your life story with us. Well, I appreciate your asking me. Thank you. <laughs> it's quite exciting. Absolutely. And uh, I know there's a lot of people out there that are li- that are waiting for this interview. So um, let's get right to it. And where were you born and raised? I was born in Juneau, Alaska. Well, that's a little bit different. <laughs> it is a little bit different. And um, I got to live there with my, I lived there with my mother. My parents got divorced shortly after I was born. And I did meet my father when I was 50. And I got to thank my mother. <laughs> I know that's a little weird, but that's the way it went. <laughs> I, I I can understand that. Um, I have some friends that would probably say the same thing. That's uh, that. That's the way life is, you know. Yep. So my, I have a nine-year-old brother, okay. and um, we lived in in Juneau with my mother. And then the Navy came along. It seemed that the Japanese were up in the Aleutian Islands, right? And the Navy came along and said women and children should get out of these coastal cities because the Japanese are right up there. My mother heard this. And she said, oh, good. <laughs> she got it. She, she wanted got, out. <laughs> oh, because my father, who had been friends with the judge, drinking buddies, had him put in the decree that she couldn't take us out of Alaska. Oh, wow. So she, she got this notice, and she ran to her lawyer, who ran to the judge, you know, everybody running around, went and got two tickets on the steamship, first steamship out of Juneau and of course they all go to Seattle Um, so my nine year old brother and myself by ourselves went to Seattle now my mother had two friends on that ship and we we sat at their table and we ate 
when they ate. So we definitely got the food. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> yes. But that's that's actually how we got right out of Juno. Friends met us in Seattle, took us to their house for a night or two, then took us, put us on the train to Iowa. My brother was nine, I was five. <laughs> We're on the train by ourselves. Every time a conductor changed, they changed conductors. One conductor would say to the other, there's two kids, watch them. I heard them <laughs> say that. Well, that's that's better than it seems like they do nowadays. Oh, it wouldn't happen now. Right. And And remember, the Second World War was on, so the blackout curtains were up. But anyway, the train went to, we got off, we went all the way to Harper's Ferry, Iowa. It's on the Mississippi River. And we got there. There were no people on. It's just a little platform and a mailbag for the train, right? <laughs> this is a long time ago. <laughs> and um, I remember the conductor. He's pulling up his stool. And he's saying, are you sure somebody's meeting you here? And finally, the headlights came on in the parking lot. And my grandfather and my aunt had been there for hours waiting for us. Because the farm was still 20, 30 miles away. Wow. So then we lived on the farm with my grandparents for a while. Uh, a year, actually, before my mother could, could get to the States. Before the, Na the Navy wouldn't let her leave because she was medical personnel. She was a nurse. I'm sorry, I forgot to say that. Okay. So she, she had to stay until they would let her go. But they were convinced that the, they had control of whatever the Japanese thought they had control of up in the Aleutians. So then um, my mother finally got there a year later. And my mother and my aunt... And my grandmother decided, uh, first it was my mother and aunt, they would go visit my other aunt and uncle who lived in Phoenix, Arizona. Right. And my grandmother said, well, don't you think you're going to leave me here? So then my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, my brother, and myself got on another train <laughs> and went to Phoenix, Arizona. But at least this time you were with your mom. Say that again? But at least this time you were with your mother. This time I'm with my mother. She got there. I can't tell you. I still remember how I missed her. That year I didn't have her with me or by me. Right. I can imagine that at, at five, six years old. Yeah. I was five years old. It was it was not fun. <laughs> So we got on the train, all of us got on the train, and we went to Phoenix. My aunt and uncle, as I said, lived in Phoenix. My uncle had to move there because of health problems. And they met us at the train, took us to their house. Their house was a one-bedroom house. Now, there's all of us people, right? Okay, well, my aunt and uncle had the, bed, had the bedroom. My my two aunts, I forgot I had two aunts traveling. Two aunts took the couch. My mother 
and the four kids, my, my uh, aunt and uncle had two kids, and then my brother and I. My mother slept with us outside, and the lady next door took my grandmother and let her sleep on the day bed on the, on the porch. Wow. So it all got handled. It was just a little weird. So you started adventuring very early. I didn't know that's what it was. I was scared to death. (laughs) (laughs) But that's what it was, adventuring. You're right. You're so right. I never thought of that. Thank you. Yeah. And so then you're, you're there, you're six, seven years old, and you're starting life over again. At that age, at my, let's see, in, in 1940, we got there in 1942 or three, and there was only 42,000 people in all of greater Phoenix. It was not a big city. No. It was a little, little crappy town. <laughs> My mother, who was an RN, she was a nurse. There was one hospital in town, and she couldn't get a job at the hospital. They did not need nurses. My aunt and uncle worked out at the Goodyear factory, so she got a job out there. Imagine a city that doesn't need nurses. Exactly. That's that, I was <laughs> just contemplating that. That sounds very strange. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Yeah. But anyway, so we all got along. Finally, my mother worked out there until she, they finally called her to the hospital to work. They finally needed her. And we, my mother and brother and I got a place of our own, and we moved. And then she was she continued to be a nurse. They needed her finally, and she'd had different things. She'd been a she'd been in surgery, a surgical nurse. She'd been. I mean, they actually needed her. So, so then. It goes along. I went to school, naturally. Right. Grade grade school, high school, got into college, and then I didn't finish at that time. I did get married, met my husband, and he wanted to go to Mexico City to go to college because he wanted he he had this idea of being in foreign service. And he could get a degree in that. So anyway, that's how we got to Mexico. And it turned out I taught second grade in Mexico. Okay. My husband went to school. I taught second second grade. I was not a great teacher. I was too young. (laughs) They hired me, really, because I was so tall, thin, and blonde. (laughs) Honest to God, that's really why they hired me. Please come to work for us. It was the second best school in Mexico City, well, private school good. in Mexico City. Okay, now let's go back to other things. <clears throat> Racing. Yes. Okay. I loved racing, by the way. <laughs> I was re- Somehow, I got involved with car racing, and it was George Rice. He had a Mercedes-Benz 300 SL. And the first car race in Phoenix, Arizona, was held out in Glendale, Arizona. 
and there's the name of the racetrack, but now I, it's out of my mind. And he he had Bill Moore, who worked on this car, racing it. My husband and I was married now. My husband and I didn't even go out Saturday to practice. Everybody, all the racers were from California. It was, it was a, it, there were there maybe five people from Arizona who were racing. But everybody from California came over because it was a new track. Right. What fun. And, and George Rice, whom we knew, sat Sunday morning, walks up to me and says, Mary, you want to race my car in the ladies and sedan race? I said, sure. <laughs> so that's how it all started. And I, I had to start last because I wasn't there for qualifying on Saturday. <clears throat> but I still won. I spun out and I still won. Wow. Well, goodness sakes, it was a 300 SL Gullwing. If you didn't win, you weren't. You didn't even have the throttle down. <laughs> <laughs> so this and was then, right after you got back from Mexico City? Yes. Okay. Exactly. Yes. So it eventually let's see, after that race, other people started asking me to race their cars. I got to race an AC Bristol, which I wow. loved by the way. Uh Elva, forget which mark something or another. Um, Corvette, other cars. Eventually, it was a Ferrari, and so on and so forth. Very nice. I know it. It was. <laughs> can you believe how lucky I was on the cars I got to race? Well, it it had to be more than just luck. George must have seen something to give you the the keys to his car. <laughs> well, tall and thin. Tall and thin. Is that it? Okay. <laughs> you can see over the steering wheel in a sports car? I hope over, so. <laughs> I can see over the steering wheel. Must must have been it. So, anyway, I got to race all these great cars. <clears throat> and at one race in Phoenix, Vashak Pollock was there with his driver over from Manhattan Beach. And, you know, Vashek Polak Porsche. Right. I know you've heard of that. Um, he was from Czechoslovakia. And he, I was racing somebody's Corvette. I don't even know who right now. I was racing somebody's Corvette. And he, he when the racing was over with, he came up to me and, and asked me, talk to me and Don if I would come race his Porsche Spiders. And wow. I about fell over. Yeah. Of course, I never said no to anything. You always say yes, and then you find out what it is. <laughs> exactly. Otherwise, you might blow a really good opportunity. Oh, absolutely. You say yes, and then find out what it is. <laughs> and you were racing so against the men at this point, correct? Oh, yes. There, yes. Were, there were no ladies race at this time. Okay. And so we did go over to, moved over to California. Um, out of school. My husband moved, went first, took the truck, 
We had a truck, and I got a little C one ten Honda to drive to ride around Phoenix in, <clears throat> while he was looking for a place to live and and work in California. I was working for Flint British Motors then. Okay. Believe it or not, I was the parts manager. <laughs> nice. I know it. And here's an interesting thing. It took two people to replace me. Two guys. That doesn't surprise me. That doesn't <laughs> surprise me. Just knowing just knowing what you've told me already, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> well, thank you very much. So now it's my turn. I, I my husband came in with the pickup truck and, and got me and my little C one ten. And went to California. <clears throat> he had found a place for us in Hermosa Beach, which nice. is next door to Manhattan Beach and Vashek. Yep. <clears throat> and let's see, he found a job and he needed the C110 Honda because there was work to, to go to work with a whole lot of construction. And if he rode the little Honda over the construction, he could save himself a half an hour of driving time. There you go. So that worked out perfectly. And, and then, so then I started driving for Vashek. He had, he, he had a, he had a couple of women who owned Porsche Spiders who brought them to him for work. They bought them from him and brought them to him for work. He said, I can't let you, I can't have you race one of my cars well, because they bought their cars and they pay me money to work on them. So I said, that's fine. But then they quit racing. So then I got to start racing Porsche Spiders for Vashek. Okay. So they bought cars to race. Yes. And he couldn't have like the factory team against his customers. I understand that. Okay. Yeah, he just couldn't have somebody who wasn't paying him any money to work on their car. Right. Which would have been me, just some <laughs> some strange person from Hermosa Beach. <laughs> <laughs> and and we went to the races. And lo and behold, I did quite well. You know, Santa Barbara, Riverside, Miramar. Can't even think of all the race of tracks now. There were everywhere, and there were constantly coming new tracks coming up. So we got to race all over. Furthest race was Reno, Nevada. Vashek wanted to go to. I was. Oh, first of all, let me start. I was now also racing, and it's because of Vashek, a motorcycle, road racing, a motorcycle. Vashek, at the time, at the right at the races, road racing motorcycles and sports cars raced at the same track the same weekend. Oh wow! Yeah, so so one Saturday or Sunday, um, Vashek and my husband were down at one of the corners, and Vashek used to be a road racing champion in Czechoslovakia pre WW two. They were down watching the motorcycles. And Vajek said to Don, Ah, Mary, the Mary, (laughs) she should road race the motorcycles, make even smoother in the car. 
Well, they came back to the pits and gave me this great idea. I said, no way. I'm not racing a motorcycle. What are you, nuts? The only time you said no? The only time I said no. And then my husband said, I could get you a motorcycle. I forgot he worked for Honda Motor Company. (laughs) (laughs) And so then I relented and said, okay. And that's how that started. So he got a um, CB92, and this was a long time ago, as you recall. And I, I couldn't just guy a guy could show up at Tech with his leathers, helmet, and his motorcycle, and he could race if he passed Tech. I, I had to call Wes Cooley Sr., head of AFM American Federation of Motorcycles. <clears throat> And to see about how I could race. And and Wes said, well, we've never had a woman race before. I'll, let me call some of the guys. <clears throat> and I'll get back to you. Okay. A couple hours later, he called me back. Because I'd gone home to call him. <clears throat> he said, okay. We can have a tryout at Willow Springs. They want to see what, how you do, what you do, and so on and so forth. I said, okay. So the first time I got to ride this CB92 was there at Willow Springs at the tryout. <laughs> first time. First time. <laughs> but I didn't see 110, for goodness sakes. <laughs> I loved that little 50cc C110. You know, it never used gas. I swear to God, it never used gas. I, I don't remember putting gas in there. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we did go to Willow Springs. There was five or six of the AFM guys there on their big bikes. Norton Manx, Triumph. There were three Norton Manxes there, 500cc Norton Manx. One was John, the great John McLaughlin. And um, and Don Vesco. So we just went around and around. So I I was sitting in the pits, and here Wes Cooley comes walking down. I said, so Wes, like, is there going to be a race or something I have to do? He said, no. They just wanted to go around and around with you to see how you would act. How you would act in the turns when they came by you. What they wanted to know was to make sure when somebody was going to pass me, because they had big bikes, that I wasn't going to turn into them or change the line. They wanted to make sure I was going to keep the line going in through the curve and going out. That was what they wanted to know. And, of course, I did did not know any of this. I didn't know anything (laughs) about it. But it just happened magically anyway. And I think it was from sports car racing. I think that just traveled right over. Right. You understood so, the the approach, the apex and the and the exit. Right. Because so. the cars. So and I didn't move around in a turn on the motorcycle, even though you could, it's so light. So he said, Oh, I can race the next race. So the next race was uh, Santa Barbara. And that was my first race, 1960, wow. in Santa Barbara. <laughs> and there I was, 
oh my gosh, did I get the stairs? Kind of <laughs> was, kind of was scary, and and I got a lot of remarks, of course, a couple of good ones, but lots of bad ones. Hope you beat all those bad ones. <laughs> oh, no. I was never the best. I was never the fastest. But by golly, I was there. <laughs> yes. You know, when no, gotta, when no other females were. No, there were no other females yet. And it, and it's interesting that they made you basically take a writing test, even though you didn't mm-hmm. know that you were being tested at that point. Mm-hmm. That uh, so that you could race, where a guy could just, you know, buy a bike, buy leathers, and come out and race. Exactly so. Show up at Tech and then go race. But, you know, it was the way it was for women then. I didn't even think anything about it. Women couldn't have credit card in their name. They couldn't have anything in their own name. It had to be husband's father or lawyer. So many people forget that at the time. What do you mean we couldn't have a credit card in our name? (laughs) I didn't know that. That's right. No, we couldn't have anything in our name, not even a damn credit card. And I tell you what, the first per- first outfit to give me a credit card was Chevron. Now, I no longer have that credit card, but I tell you what, I remain true to Chevron just because of that in my heart. I go to a Chevron station for gas. Well, I don't blame you for that for a number of reasons. First of all, I think they have the best fuel or the most consistent from station to station. Mm. I never get seem to get any contaminants in Chevron gas. Oh, And I cool. get better gas mileage with Chevron than I do with anything else. So I can understand wow. that. But being true to them for giving you that credit card, I, I can understand that. Yep. That's why I did it. And I still, I still, I go to Carson City to go to get Chevron because there's no Chevron station here in Gardnerville anymore. Right. right. So if I go to Carson City, I fill up in Carson City. There is a Chevron station. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Yeah, that's what I say. Not perfect, but that's just the way it was. Close enough. Yes. Yeah. And. Women didn't complain about any of that yet. There was no women's movement, no no marching, no no thinking about women being equal to men. It right, that didn't came. start until the mid sixties. Mid sixties, it started very slowly. Yes, and uh, and I was in my lifetime. I was one of the marchers for women's rights. Definitely, definitely, definitely. <laughs> well, that's good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I Anything... always I always tease my mom about being a, a bra burner. Oh, good for her. Yeah, she was, too. She was um, in the San Francisco Bay Area. She wasn't a racer or anything, but she, you know, with her employment and that kind of stuff, she was she was always out front. Good. Good for her. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there were many of us, but not enough to really make a difference for a long time. I mean, we made, we made handmade signs, stood on street corners and busy intersections, you know, and waved our, 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 our 
cardboard signs that we made for women's rights. And and anyway, it, it did happen. And I'm happy to have been a little, little bit of a part of it. That's great. That's yeah. great. So in those early years of, of road racing, whether it was motorcycles or cars, what was your favorite track? Uh, probably Riverside. And what made Riverside special? Well, it had the S's. You started out, there was the start-finish line, turn one, and then you got to go through the S's up to turn six. And then you had to make sure you you actually made it through turn six. Otherwise, you could get stuck under the guardrail. And then seven and eight, and, and then nine was very spooky. You could be going too fast and not make it all the way around turn nine because of diminishing returns. Right. But I, I think, I think, but I think that was probably my favorite. And also, you know, you got to go out there and watch the, the Grand Prix, the formula cars and the big cars. And, Oh, it was pretty cool seeing all the cars and the drivers. Was Monterey I, around at that point? Okay, I do have a story about Monterey. Okay. And you're talking about Laguna Seca, right? Yes, yes, Laguna okay. Seca. Okay, so I hadn't been at Laguna Seca, had not raced there. And in 1962, my husband and I decided to go to Laguna Seca to the races up to Monterey, got a room. Saturday morning, for, we went to um, Uncle John's Pancake House in Monterey. Okay. And and the guy, the maitre d', came and asked us if we were motorcycle people. And we said yes, because it was just doing the bike. And he said, you have to leave. We thought he was kidding. We had to leave because we were motorcycle people. He did not want any kind of motorcycle people. We didn't look for motorcycle people. We just had regular clothes on. And we had to leave. Honest to Pete. We thought he was kidding, and he wasn't. We actually had to leave Uncle John's Pancake House in Monterey that Saturday morning. Okay, so anyway, I loved that track. Oh, that was a great track. And that was the early track. It's not like it is now. Right. Then they hadn't cut down any of the trees. You just whistled. And and where the start-finish line was entirely different. So they hadn't cut any of the trees. So when you went, I think it was turn five to turn six, you got, it was up high. You got to just wind your way through the trees. And then you had to pay attention to the limbs of the trees to know when to, oh my God, I got to go down. Did they have the corkscrew then? Of course. That's what I was just talking about. Okay. Yeah. Cause you just had to have a leap of faith. There were no, there were no turns. There were no turnoffs. T- t- run in, turn in, uh, runoffs. So you, you just had to look for this tree branch 
certain tree branch. It was a certain tree branch. You can ask the early, if, you, if you're talking to any really early road racers that race there, you can ask them what about that. There was a certain tree branch. And when you saw that tree branch, you just had to take a leap of faith and turn left and go down the corkscrew. And that's just the way it was. <laughs> I think the corkscrew is one of the most exciting turns in in motorsports, whether it's motorcycles or cars. Well, I've only been on it on motorcycles, and it was 1962. And the trees were still there up, up high. They hadn't turned them out. They hadn't cut them down yet. You know, they had to cut all them down for um, car guy, NASCAR guys first. And then uh, motorcycle guys, the uh, the big fast car bikes, they said, no, we have too many trades. We can't race here. So they cut them down. So it changed everything. You used to get to wind through the trees up there. There's no trees now. That'd be exciting unless you left the track surface. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty exciting, all right. It was a little scary at first, I got to tell you. My friend John McLaughlin, I don't know, you might know his son, Steve McLaughlin. I don't. If you're, okay. Anyway, so it was John and Don Desco who I was talking to who gave me the clue of how to get down it. He told it's you to look for scary. that tree and then... Yeah, turn left. Yeah. yeah, just 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 jump left. You just had to jump down. Not turn left, you just had to jump down. I mean, it was different. Right. <laughs> there were no runoffs or any of that stuff. It was just that narrow little track. And it hadn't been resurfaced probably ever. <laughs> so then your your road racing and then you uh, you get into well, how I got into dirt. Yes. Oh, <laughs> well, my friend from road racing cars, my friend Steve McQueen. Nice friend said to me, "Yeah, yeah, we've been friends for years." Said to me, "Mary McGee, you have got to get off that pansy road racing bike." And come out to the desert. I, of course, said, ooh, and get dirty. <laughs> but again, my husband said, I can get you a bike. <laughs> he was still with Honda. Perfect. <laughs> and he got a CL-72. So that's how I got out to, to the desert. And then met some friends of Steve's. And uh, they got me into... They, they put me in one of their enduro spots. And my first race was at Jawbone Canyon, and it was an enduro. So, and the downhill scared the crap out of me. Oh, I can understand that. Jawbone's, jawbone's for real. It is. <laughs> and it wasn't worn down yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, I was stopped up on the top. Because I looked down and couldn't see the bottom. And I was just sitting there on the bike. And Dave Eakins came up to me. And he said, Mary, 
Yeah. Did we forget to teach you how to go, tell you how to go downhill? And I nodded my head, yes. <laughs> he said, okay, here's what you do. Really simple. Put it in third gear and just go. You're going to fall. It's not going to hurt. It's just softer. And you're going to make, it's going to be fine. So that's what I did. Put it in third gear. Fell a couple of times. And he was right. It was just softer. <laughs> I maybe only fell once. I don't remember. But I did fall and made it to the bottom and said, whew. So I had some actually wonderful experiences on my first rides. <laughs> so it's kind of, kind of, you make it through them and continue on, or you wuss out and quit, you know? And you're not a quitter. I guess not. Well, I kind of like these motorcycles. <laughs> I didn't want to quit the motorcycles or the cars. Had to quit cars in 63. Because that's when the car car thing changed to the big Can-Am cars. And Porsche factory wanted some big, fancy, expensive male drivers. That's so, too bad. Oh, it's all right. I enjoyed the motorcycles. I, I, I enjoyed being out in the dirt the best. And then when motocross came along, I was in the very first motocross race. Again, it was Wes Cooley Sr. who put on the first motocross race the first week in December of 1965. There were 42 of us on the starting line. That's it. <laughs> you can imagine a starting a motocross starting line with 42 people. Wow. Yeah. So, well, turns out, and I rode my husband's 500cc Triumph. That's a big bike. Well, it didn't seem like it because the bike I had been riding, that CL72 Honda, that 250 Honda, right? that was the big monster and heavy and ill-handling. So the Triumph wasn't any much different. So, so the first three races, I rode my husband's 500cc Triumph. But I tell you what, did I love motocross. You weren't stuck out there in the desert. You just, there's your pit. You go around this track and then you come back into the pits. And if you break, if, if you do break down, you just push your bike into the pits. I thought motocross was the catch me out. <laughs> you got to race and you were close to the pits. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. And how long did you race motocross for? Oh, I raced motocross. My last... When, how long did I race motocross? For a long time. Uh, I forget the years, but for a long time. Okay. I raced, I raced all the hot tracks. There was a track opening every week, it seemed. Well, yeah, if that first race got 43 people to show up. 42 people. 42. Then, you know, that's uh, that's a good number. Yeah. That was at, out at Castank Junction. Okay. And then they, they later dropped the junction part, just Castank. That was the racetrack. And then the next race was at Forest Ranch. And then the third race was back at Castank. And then... I don't know. They just it just jumped. There was a racetrack opening. It seemed like every week for motocross, 
And anytime there was a motocross race, we, my husband and I went. He didn't race, but, but he liked me racing. I don't know why. <laughs> and then he was a mechanic, so he took care of the bikes. Best of both worlds. He liked watching you race. He liked working on the bikes. And you liked riding the bikes. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was great. And then in two, when did I, I'm trying to think. I think we moved to Idaho and I was racing motocross up there in the Pacific Northwest. So I left Idaho. Things changed in our world. So I left Idaho in 75, 75, and my son and I moved back down to Southern California. So that's about my last time I got to go motocross riding. I did do some road racing, however. Okay. Uh, where, where, in, where in Idaho did you live? Ketchum. Okay. Ketchum, Idaho. And so I raced all the motocross races up there in the Pacific Northwest, even Washougal. Nice. Over in Washington. And then, let's see. 75 left Idaho? 75 left Idaho. Went back to California and uh, did some road racing. I worked for a motorcyclist. And uh, Brad Zimmerman, Rich Cox, uh, the road racing guy. There was a road racing guy who had retired, not retired, he'd gotten injured, and he wasn't doing much road racing. I can't come up with his name right now. Jody Nicholas. Okay. So we did uh, we did 24 hours in Las Vegas, changing riders every hour, except when it got dark, Jody couldn't race anymore because of that accident he'd had. So it was just the three of us. And then we ran out of tires. <laughs> About one o'clock in the morning. So that was the end of our 24 hour racing. And then we used to race in uh, Ontario. The six hour races on Ontario. It was uh, Brad Zimmerman, Rich Cox, and myself. Again, we changed off every hour. That was fun. Brought more tires? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was Ontario, the better surface. Right. Okay. It wasn't an old rotten surface like they had at Las Vegas. And when did, when you moved to back to California, what did you move back down to Southern California then? Oh yeah. Okay. Back to Hermosa Beach. Okay. Loved Hermosa Beach, and it was affordable. Of course, now you can't even buy a sandwich in Hermosa Beach. It's so expensive. <laughs> Oh, so true. So true. <laughs> Isn't it? It is. Everywhere in California is becoming that way. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I I read about that and I think, how can that possibly be? How how can it be that much money? I don't understand how people can go and buy new houses nowadays. How do they do that? How do they make that much money? Who pays them that much money to buy a new house? I, I have no idea. 
I, I don't I don't know if everybody's just so upside down that they're never going to get out from it or what. It's crazy. Well, of course, I'm thinking about how much money I would have made back then, which could barely buy a sandwich now. Right. So anyway, I'm glad for them and I'm happy for them and I hope it turns out well. Yes. But back to racing. Yes. So... <laughs> I hadn't thought about any of this stuff. You're catching me unawares. That's okay. That's okay. It's it's good to uh, to have to try to reach back and and get to all that stuff. Well, I'm glad I can come up with some stuff. That's perfect. Yeah. So so then you're you're racing road bikes again, um, yep. and you were working for the magazine. Uh huh. And you were like a um, a tech writer or something. No, no, they wouldn't let me have a pencil in my hand. Oh, okay. I, I got to, I got, <laughs> I got to go on some some rides when the the editors were gonna were gonna evaluate some bikes for the magazine, okay. and I got to go and ride a bike. I could not say a word about that bike. I certainly couldn't write anything about that bike because I was not an editor. Come along with us because you know how to ride. <laughs> <laughs> so they would watch you and then write about the bike. I doubt that. I think they just what they just wanted somebody there that knew how to ride well. I think I think they had maybe too many bikes and not enough riders. I don't know. Okay. Because I didn't get to ride this, the same bike all the time. I did. I got to ride all the bikes, but I never got to say anything about my impression. I never, ever, ever. That's too bad. They missed a, they missed a great segment back there. No, you know? it's all right because they were, you know, they were the editors. They were getting paid for do, for doing this stuff. Okay. And I was a sales rep. I was selling space in the magazine. That's all I was good for. Oh, good I doubt that. They just didn't. They just didn't explore the opportunities. Oh, it's all right. Okay. Brad Zimmerman, the late Brad Zimmerman, he stayed a friend for a long time. He was a good guy. He was an editor. And, okay, let me see. So then, some things happened that I don't want to talk about. Uh, oh, I have one fun thing to say. Okay. Um, I just remembered this the other day. <laughs> The magazine people were were going to Scandia to have lunch because I think Bobby Pete uh, Bob Peterson had just bought the restaurant, so they were everybody was going up there to eat lunch, and I was training a young man to to be a sales rep, and he was right behind me, so we were the last to go into the restaurant, and as I was walking by, Carol Shelby said, "Mary, hi." I said, hi, Carol. <laughs> How are you? So this young boy I was training about fell over. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's Carol Shelby. And he said, Mary. <laughs> anyway, that's that was kind of fun. Steve McQueen, so, Carol Shelby. Wow. Well, you know, we were all on the racing thing. Yes. You had, uh, uh, lots of guys. Um. You know, they made movie about somebody. 
the stupidest movie I've ever seen was Ford versus Ferrari. <laughs> I love not... that movie, <laughs> but I didn't really? know the insides. Oh, well, first of all, Carl Shelby was a huge guy. And secondly, Ken Miles was an Englishman. Right. And those two guys were not a big or not English. They could have could have done such a better job. Oh, at least of casting. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. At least the casting. <clears throat> and and Ken did have a great shop, and he, he invented a lot of things. So, let's see. So, that now where are we? Working for the mag magazine. Okay, yeah. Then I, and, uh, and I, I went to another magazine and uh, just had a better time just selling space and uh, just living my life. No racing. No more racing. I didn't start racing again until I took up vintage racing, vintage motocross. That was a long time ago, but I can't think of when it was. <laughs> I took up vintage motocross. Okay. And I don't know how I got into that. Somebody got me into that, and I got a 250, um, 74 Husky, just like I'd raced in Baja, an early Husky, no suspension. <laughs> and... And started racing vintage, and I loved it. it. Was so people are so nice, and it's so easy compared to when it was real motocross. Right. It was just the tracks were nice. Kind of missed. We did get to see. We did get to go in vintage. We did get to go some of the big tracks like Sand Hill and uh, Hollister and so forth. But mostly they were built for uh, vintage bikes. And it was great fun. Just great fun. I didn't, I raced vintage for many years. Let's see, I'm trying to think of when I stopped. I think it was 2012 or 2013. Wow. Yeah. And so that's because I had to take my bike into the shop, it was finally done. And he had to take it apart and the gearbox apart and this apart. And it takes months. So I never got back to racing. If he had finished the bike, I probably would have gone to the next race, vintage race. Wow. So it all worked out okay. So let's let's talk about Baja. Oh, yeah. And Baja. getting the chance to, to race down there and your oh. impressions of racing in the wilds of Baja. Oh, I love Baja. <clears throat> Let's see, Baja. <clears throat> Paul Collins, the late Paul Collins, a friend of mine, he called me up and said, you want to race a Datsun in, a, in the Baja? Once again, I always say yes, yes. <laughs> well, so did start, it was a 500cc Datsun. Just that little Datsun and different tires and shocks and a roll bar. And it, let me think, it started in Ensenada, uh, started in Tijuana, and it was a timed run. 
down to Ensenada. That was part of the race. Right. And then it started the next day out of Ensenada. Now, during the pre-run, during the practice, uh, Toyota lent a, because, you know, Datsun never made convertibles, and Toyota didn't make, Datsun didn't make four-wheel drive, and Toyota didn't make convertibles. Right. So it was a Toyota Land Cruiser that we pre-ran in. And we out of San Ignacio, down the road from San Ignacio, on the, ro- on the way, on the trail, we ran into Berkwist, Berkwist and Preston. Larry Berkwist, Gary Preston. And they were going to turn right and go this way, which would have put them into the uh, oh, the area that everybody goes to watch whales. Okay. I don't remember the name myself. <laughs> Unfortunately. And I know. I, I get that. So I said, no, it's this way. No, they insisted this way. And I said, we better follow those motorcycles because if they get caught in the, in the, the swampland, they can't get out. So pretty soon they stopped. This doesn't seem to be the right way. <laughs> no, it's this way. <laughs> I said. <laughs> so we went back and then the, um, there was this, it had, the reason they didn't want us to go out of San Ignacio was because of the water. The, you couldn't cross the big, there were two big trucks there. They couldn't get across either. There was too much water. So, so the two motorcyclists, I, I suggested that each two guys carry one motorcycle and walk through the water and get it over to the other side. Start it, dry it out, and come back and get the other motorcycle. So that's what happened. They came back and got the other motorcycle, got that all handled, came back to help us get the car across, the um, Land Cruiser. Well, that was a horse of a different color, but it they all pushed. I drove. That's <laughs> better. in the water, honest to God. <laughs> so we did make it. Climbed up that muddy hill and we got there. So then... On the, continuing on via Constitucion and on and on and on, get to the pavement and get down to La Paz. And it was beautiful down there then. And, you know, at the hotel, it was real silver. And the silverware. Wow. That's, it was real silver. Believe it. So anyway, loved it. The weather, of course, is perfect. And, I don't remember how or why really got back to California. Was there a plane or somebody picked pick me up? I don't remember that. I don't remember how I got back. As strange as that may sound, I do not remember. Okay. So then the first, the next, the race, 
see. So the race was the 510 Datsun, but it didn't make it. It only made it to El Arco. And I don't remember what happened, but I can tell you what El Arco was like. It was freezing. Um, they were burning rubber tires and people standing around all these rubber tires from every big truck that had been ever been through El Arco lost a tire and they were burning it. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really, really cold. I was standing at the at the fire, just turning around and around, trying to stay warm, looking around. Then I spotted two guys on and all the cardboard had already been taken from the little village store. So I spotted two guys in leathers. I think they were leathers, man. It might have just been motorcycle gear on cardboard, back to back, sound asleep. Well, I went around and around that fire and got myself so nice and hot. I went right over there to those guys and I slithered right in between them. They <laughs> never knew they never knew I was there. <laughs> the next morning it was Don Bohannon, a desert racer, who said, I slept with Mary McGee. <laughs> <laughs> that woke everybody up. <laughs> But he does. They, but he didn't know it, <laughs> right? Until he woke up. That's that's funny. No, no, they didn't feel a thing. I was nice and hot, and they were in some sort of motorcycle gear. It was either leathers or or riding gear. I don't remember now. I just knew they were motorcycle riders, and they were on cardboard, and I could get warm and slither right in there. They, <laughs> 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 and that's what happened. But he woke up really early, I'm sorry to say. <laughs> so then, and at that time, that's when the car broke down. So I got a ride out. Guy had flown in and picked up four people. Well, he'd been hired to do that ahead of time. So he said, I'll be back. I'll take the seats out and I can take more of you. And that's what he did. He came back. It was a push-me-pull-you airplane. Engine in the front and a little engine in the back. Okay. I don't remember the name of it, but I, I called it a push-me-pull-you. And he came back. He had the seats out. So there was a bunch of us that could get in there and sit down. And then uh, he kind of was showing off his airplane. Scared me to death. Especially if you're not in seats. <laughs> Yeah, and this, I'll just put on, pull, turn off this, the big motor, and we'll just do the back motor, and you'll see, oh, I'm yelling. Hey, <laughs> I'm not that fond of airplanes, right. and it was, it was scary. Anyway, he got us down there, and it was all safe. Now, I do not remember how I got back. <laughs> Somebody must have brought me back. I don't remember, but anyway, I got back. And then I got somehow. What was the next race I did in Baja? So, did you race motorcycles in Baja? Oh, yes. Okay. That took a couple of years. I was racing motocross, remember? Right. Okay. And 
I, Ralph de Blaine called me up. You know who Ralph de Blaine is? I've heard the name, yes. In the world of motocross. He was world champion for a couple, three, four years. Okay. He worked for Husky West down in San Diego area. So he called up and he said, Mary. Anyway, I was going to race to, I was to race a 250 Husky in the 500. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> the bike would be in Ensenada. I just had to get to Ensenada. This is this is a long time ago. I'm having trouble remembering remembering all the little tiny things I want to remember. Just take your time. I am. I am. Thank you. <laughs> so got down there, and of course, first thing you have to do is go to Who Songs. Right. Of course. <laughs> and and then t- take a turn. Take a take a take a ex- take a practice run on the bike. Come back and get ready for the next day, which is the race, start of the race. So it was the 500-mile race, and it went up through near Mexicali. Okay. Up through the trees. The pine forest and Tecate and out that way. Yes, piney okay. forest. Thank you. <laughs> I knew there was a name. <laughs> um, and back to Ensenada. And I made it. No great shakes, but I made it. And everybody's happy to see me. So then comes the 1,000. And and Husky didn't have enough bikes. So Can-Am said they were going to send a bike. Okay. So Can-Am sent a 175 down. And my husband did the initial check over and make sure everything worked and da 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 da. And I'm and I co-rode with Lynn Wilson and Steve Bridges. They're desert riders. So I did I start the race? I must have started. Yes, I started the race, and on the way to San Felipe, the bike just stopped. It just stopped, and the only thing I know to do is check, is the fuel going through? Is there spark? Right. That's that's the limit of my mechanical knowledge, and then I look. I, I my, my my barber jacket is off, the helmet is off because it's friggin' hot. And I hear two guys coming up the the motorcycle trail, and I let them come up the rest of the way, and they said, "We saw you back there. We're down here and watching. We're waiting for Parnelli Jones to come through and crash." <laughs> I said, okay. So they, they, they got the bike and they pushed it down to their pit where they were watching the races and both of their wives were there. They just sat there and looked at that bike, <clears throat> checked the fuel, checked the spark, da 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 did this and that and the other thing because 
one guy had was retired from Harley Davidson, <clears throat> so he did no motorcycles. Um, I, their wives gave me a half a sandwich and a Pepsi. I was grateful. Pretty soon, that guy that used to work for Harley said, "You know." right away when somebody says, you know. Uh-oh. <laughs> exactly. Those Harley Davidsons would never run with a fuel filter. I said, well, take it off, yank it off. He said, okay, let me measure, make sure the fuel lines are long enough if I do that. So he cut the fuel filter out. There was enough Enough fuel line, if he took out the fuel filter, it would all connect up. And what do you think? It right. started right up. Yep, clogged filter. A fuel filter. Those Harleys had never run with a fuel filter. Took that off and that Can-Am ran. 175 Can-Am. So I finally got it. Got Oh, and the Can-Am also came with these huge, huge non-leak-proof, non, no, no, no rock can penetrate this tire, Bridgestones. <laughs> so I get up to the Three Sisters. <laughs> I'm up to the Three Sisters, bebop on the lawn, and it's, have, have you ever been across the Three Sisters years ago? Yep. Okay, well, years ago when they were brand new, those puppies were sharp. Now it's like a freeway. Smooth, smooth as glass, <laughs> but it used to be rough and tough. And 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 I got a flat rear tire. Well, there's no way I can change a tire, so I just kept riding with a flat rear tire until I got down to the pit. And it was the husky pits; they were they were pitting. So they took the tire out, put a new tire. <laughs> Took the tube out, put a new tube in, pinched it, took it out, repaired the tube that they took out, put that back in. It worked, and and off I went. <laughs> got to finish the race. I got it down to the next rider. My husband was sitting and waiting. It was Steve Bridges, and my husband was waiting with him. And he said, "I don't think she's coming. <laughs> we better just leave." Because they were in the middle of nowhere. We did it by mileage, you know, just mileage th for the three riders. Right. So my husband said, she's going to be here. Just wait. <laughs> Steve remembered saying, I don't think so. And my husband said, oh, yeah, she's going to be here. And there I show up. <laughs> so that was pretty interesting, I thought. Absolutely. And then they got down to uh, civilization. Uh, Steve got down to civilization, and then uh, Lynn Wilson was there, so she took it in to finish. Very good. That's yeah, yeah. But I loved riding motorcycles. I liked the Huskies the best. And it was Rolf who called me and told me that I was going to ride the 500 solo. Okay, what'd you think of that? I said, I can't do that. They said, yeah, man, you can do this. <laughs> You're going to do this. 
you're going to ride the 250 solo and the 500. So I said, okay. Again, okay, instead of saying, I can't do this. Right. And um, so I did. Um, They were Kernut shocks. I'll never forget this. And one of them broke before I ever got to the first road crossing and sent me into a cactus. Ouch. Ouch. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you. And my husband was at the road crossing, but he didn't have shocks or sprockets or wheels and tires. He just had tires. He had wheels and tires. That's it. So he gave me a Pepsi. He said, you got to go down to the to Camelou. That's where the first pit stop was. Uh, Klaus Nielsen was there. So I got on the bike. It fell a couple more times when the shock just went poop and into cactus. Thank you. Thank you to your cactus for stopping me. <laughs> <laughs> and got down to Camelou and and they they couldn't understand what I'd done to their rear wheel. <laughs> so they replaced the sprocket, the wheel, the chain, just everything. And uh, I had a again I had a Pepsi and half a sandwich and got on my way. And that started my solo run. Nice way to start. Nice and smooth. <laughs> Wasn't it? <laughs> Nice and smooth, <laughs> exactly. But you didn't quit. No, you don't quit. You just never quit. That I don't know how I ever learned that lesson, but you just don't ever quit. I think it must have been from my mother and the relatives. They Things were not easy, but they never quit. You know, you just keep going. It's It's not that way nowadays. I noticed that people give up too easy. I think so. If they don't, if they don't feel they can win, it's not about finish. If they can't win, then they quit. Do you know who just quit the presidential race? DeSantis. Oh, did he? Quit because he said, I can see that Trump is going to win. So I'm quitting. Wow. The same thing, same sort of thing. You, you once you start something, you should see it through to the end, however it goes. Right. Make Even your mark you, as best you can. Yeah, exactly. I never had to push a bike in. I had to push it for a few miles, but or a few feet or whatever. But never, I always just got to ride in. I never quit. I, you never quit. Honest to Pete. People have asked me, well, did you quit? Well, of course not. <laughs> right. <laughs> Why would you? So I'm very proud of the fact that I rode that 500-mile race on a solo. I was the first person to do that. Not just first woman, but first person. Oh, I didn't realize it was first person. Excellent. I'm the first person. Yep. Not, not just the first woman. I was the first person. Then guys started doing this. <laughs> Because I had done it. <laughs> right. They had to prove that they could. I guess so. Oh, oh, well, she can do it. I can do it. Because <laughs> she's just as tall skinny thing. 
So in 2018, you were inducted into the AMA Hall of Fame. Yes, I was. How was that? Oh, it was marvelous. I had a great reception. People liked my talk. I think it's on... I think it's on... YouTube? Yeah. One of those TV things. I'll have to look up YouTube. I'm sure it's a YouTube. It's YouTube or... or no, Google or something. Okay. Yeah, because Google has this big thing on me. I don't know why. Um, but because you're a pioneer, <laughs> pioneer, I gotta get used to that. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, everybody loved it. Said it was the best talk anybody had ever given at an AMA awards banquet. So that felt good. I was jammed. When coming off the stage, I couldn't even go to the bathroom. Everybody wanted to say congratulations. Yeah, yeah, talk to me, and you know, and it was wonderful. I loved it. Um, so it was, it was great. The food was great. Where was that held? Was that in Vegas as well? Oh no, no, it was back in uh, Columbus, Ohio. Okay. AMA is in Pickerington. And Columbus is the lar- the biggest big city. Okay. Yeah. And then this last year, you were inducted into the Off-Road Motorsports Hall of Fame. Yes, that was in Las Vegas. Yes. Yeah, that was gang. <laughs> I had no idea. I had so many followers. Did you uh, Did you enjoy that gala? Oh, I loved it. Except they hauled me off the stage just when I was getting started. <laughs> I know we were all disappointed in that. We wanted, we wanted to give you. I mean, we all wanted to hear the story, and yeah. it was, uh, it was, it was sad that we that that we had to stay on schedule so that you couldn't continue talking. But that's what this podcast is going to help with. So we get to hear your story. I might have been sharper when I was in Las Vegas. I don't know. <laughs> it's quite all right. You're you're sharp enough, Mary. That's for sure. Well, not bad for eighty-seven, huh? Right. <laughs> yep. I'm I'm very impressed. You were uh, your your career was was phenomenal. Um, you got to do things that uh, that opened the door for many others to come along. Well, I hope so. I hope that women. Had, were paying attention that, look at I'm riding, you can ride, and you can do this, you can do that. If, if you just pay attention and you don't be scared, never be scared. If you're out there riding, all you do is you pay attention. Just put it in third gear and go. Put it in third gear and go. And you just pay attention. You never get scared. You pay attention to what I did on those long, long rides. When I'd get kind of bushy-eyed, I would I would go over my seating position. How are my shoulders? How are my hands? How are my arms? How's my butt? How are my feet? And then I'd get my position the way I like to ride, 
you know, loose. Feed on the pigs. Don't grip the bars until they're going to die. <laughs> right. <laughs> Feel the bike. Be the bike. Yep. That's right. You got it. So it's been a wonderful life. I've enjoyed every minute of it. I think I've been probably the luckiest woman ever to have gotten to do all this racing. I mean, imagine cars, bikes, Ferraris, Husqvarna, Jeepers, Creepers. And and you didn't set out to do that. It just it it just came. It just came to me. No, I never I never I didn't even know what a motorcycle was when I was a kid. Until Vashek and my husband said you he needs to road race. <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So I, I truly, truly am 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 lucky. I'm lucky it all happened. I'm grateful it all happened. I am grateful. I'm grateful for every moment on a on a race course, whatever the vehicle was. And and I'm grateful that that you were able to spend the time with us to share your story. I oh. really appreciate that. Thank you. You're entirely welcome. Thank you for calling. Yeah, and uh, I will let you know when this is going to air. Okay. And um, I want to say, Mary, thank you so much, and I hope I get to see you at this year's gala, if you're okay. able to make it and and enjoy the next group going into the Hall of Fame. And uh, hope to and I, I get I hope to get to meet you in person. Well, thank you very much. I hope so too. You take care. All right, Mary. You too, and have a great day. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks thank again. You. All right. Bye-bye. Well, that's another episode of Conversations with Big Rich. I'd like to thank you all for listening. If you could do us a favor and uh, leave us a review on any podcast service that you happen to be listening on, or send us an email or a text message or a Facebook message, and let me know uh, any ideas that you have, or if there's anybody that you have that you would think would be a great guest, please forward the contact information to me so that we can uh, try to get them on. And always remember, live life to the fullest. Enjoying life is a must. Follow your dreams and live life with all the gusto you can. Thank you.